0: Local heroes, the
1: trees and the bees and doing it daily. Welcome to the Local Environment Heroes Podcast, a podcast that brings you a series of chats with some amazing local heroes from here in Canberra and from further afield who are doing ace things for our world. The podcast is produced and supported by the Canberra Environment Centre and your hosts are me, Fiona Vekinen, Director of the CEC and Julie Bolton, a sustainability strategist based here in
0: Canberra.
1: Today we had the pleasure of chatting to Scotty Foster. What a champ.
2: So he's a local (laughs) legend, right?
1: Absolutely. His bio describes him as being a solar-powered radio broadcasting, organic growing cooperative, creating earth and people protecting worker. I love the fact he's described as (laughs) solar-powered,
2: which I think is appropriate because he he mentions in there, I mean, it's such a wide-ranging chat, but he mentions about feeling connected to the earth and really being Mm. earth. And I feel solar-powered, he's like, the sun, the earth, the world gives him his energy. Like It's like his superpower.
1: Yeah, such a treat. Um, this chat ranges from permaculture all the way through to oh, everything else.
2: <laughs> I, know, I know. We can't possibly capture it all, people, because yeah. – There was a lot going on and I did say to him afterwards, how on earth do you keep all of that in your mind? Like, how do you go from there to there to there? He does have his own radio show and he said he has collected a lot of stories and a lot of information over the years. Mm. And he's just a fantastic storyteller. So, yeah, this is, it's a treat. Yep,
1: let's get into it.
2: We are here. We're ready to go. We have got Scotty Foster here, which is very exciting for us because he's <laughs> a local legend. Scotty, welcome to the show.
1: How are you going? Mm-hmm. Great to have you here. Well,
3: good to come and have a look at the new digs here and the old Gunjadera
1: homestead. Yeah, that's right. Here at Canberra Environment Centre. So, Scotty, we've been having a bit of a chat about all the amazing things that you've been involved in. Really interested to hear if there's been a particular defining moment in your life where you've looked at the world around and thought something needs to change. Well, there's
3: probably three things that I've been able to identify that were were really life-changing moments. One of them was getting kicked out of high school Mm. because we were just having a bit of a feud between the, the acting principal and a bunch of us and... He found out that there was this place called School Without Walls. Mm -hmm. And he went, right, you bastards have all got to go there or I'm (laughs) going to kick you out. So we got evicted from high school in year 10. Year 10? Yeah, and I spent the next three years, I think, finishing my year 10, but learning an awful lot about how a bunch of freaks and misfits can run a school better than the government... Or the private sector can.
2: <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> yeah. School Without
3: Walls was a fully democratic school. It was run by the students. Oh, well, it was, really? It was run by a general meeting, but there were seven teachers and 100 kids, so we could outvote them anytime. And you could hire and fire the teachers. Yeah. There was someone who did all the admin for us, which was very nice, but there was no principal. It was all run by a general meeting.
2: What an experience. Mm, so that was... So the power that you must have felt like being empowered, being empowered to control your destiny. Oh, Because you, you don't get that in You the get schools. the opposite yeah. in schools.
3: You're trained, especially if you go into a lower class sort of school, you get trained to become a worker, and mm. follow orders and yeah. be a good little beaver, beavering away at the office or whatever it is you go to. Yeah. Richard Wolfe tells a story about he went to both uh, – Public school in the US and a really fancy hoity toity one as well. And he tells the difference one, you're told you're taught how to work, and the other one, you're told that you are the people who are going to rule the world. Mm-hmm. Like explicitly and literally, <laughs> you're told that. And it's like, wow, that's an interesting story. Wow. I don't have that experience. I've mm-hmm. sort of got a different one where, yeah. yeah, we went and learned that we could run a school. Like it was. Very interesting people at that school too. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Where where was that school?
1: That
3: when I went to it it was at the old Ainslie Primary School. Yeah. Um mm. which so a great fr- building too. So.
1: You're from Canberra. You're oh, properly yeah, Canberran. Yeah,
3: yeah. Born and bred. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Love it. Born
3: in the exploding hospital.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this this school still exists though, doesn't it?
3: No. Kate Carnell shut it down when she was in power here. There's a few around.
2: Yeah.
3: The world, I mean, not Australia. But, no, it's a very rare thing to have a fully democratic school.
1: Hmm. What What are those other two experiences that you had? Ah, yeah,
3: the other two things. Well, not too long after that, I went and did a 10-day permaculture course mm. down at Cow's Nest near Beega, and that was with David Holmgren.
2: Oh, just to tell you, Fiona is currently doing a permaculture course with David Holmgren. Oh,
0: nice yeah. one, yeah yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he's a pretty amazing guy. He is. Yeah. Have you met his son? No. Ah, well, his son was about... Must have been five or six yeah. or something. And he just put me to shame with his knowledge. It was like, Wow, man, this kid knows so much.
2: What prompted <laughs> you to do the permaculture course?
3: I don't know. No idea, but you know. Because we were just talking the sort be- of thing I would do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking before, like Fiona and I would Fiona was saying I don't know why permaculture is not more widely known. It's been around since the seventies. Why why don't more people know about this?
3: Well, I guess it's because it's uh, it's its own movement. It's a, a really grassroots, bottom up thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so There's
2: been no marketing. No <laughs> no, no PR companies come in. No to, PR to,
3: company, but <laughs> plenty of marketing. Them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you look around the world, it's in almost every country. It's doing amazing things, but it's always doing it from the community up. Yeah, it's a design system which. Is fairly universal. So David Holmgren and and Bill Mollison looked at patterns in nature. They talked to an awful lot of First Nations people and they brought it all together into design principles, which Mm. are pretty much applicable to everywhere. A lot of people think it's just gardening, but it's not. It's so much more than that.
1: Well, that's what I thought it was Mm. until only recently. And when I thought, oh, it's not just for people who own their own enormous properties. Yes. I can bring these design principles into all kinds of elements of my life. It's yes. exciting. Yeah, yeah, you can do
3: it in a flat. You yeah. can do it anywhere. Yeah. yeah. You can do it in an erosion gully. You can do mm. it absolutely mm. anywhere. So, so those
1: 10 days doing that course, they've really made an impact on your, on your life.
3: I guess at the School Without Walls, mm. I learned that even the freaks and weirdos... Can do something better than anyone else because Mm. they're talking, they're discussing things. We've figured it out for ourselves. The whole hey,
2: why are you describing yourself or defining yourself as a freak or a weirdo?
3: Oh, (laughs) because I am.
2: But why? Like, what? What makes you think that?
3: Well, I've always been a freak and a weirdo. <laughs> Everybody
1: should be a freak and a weirdo. Well, I mean, that's, and like we'll, I think yeah. then we'll all be normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he says it with a hint, quite a touch of pride there,
2: no, I, and I like that. I like that. No, I just, I just finished watching this random show on Netflix called Lunatics. Mm-hmm. It's a Chris Lilly show from 2019. So, it, the premise of it, like, a slight tangent, but. The freaks and weirdos comments made me think of it. So it's he's playing six different characters, and they're all a little bit strange. Like you kind of come come across them and go, oh, this is like a little bit, little bit weird and eccentric, not not your norm. And kind of follows them through their journey over nine episodes, and then the tenth episode wraps it all up. Like it's six months later. Where are these six interesting characters? And the moral of the story, because there is actually it's quite – it hits you in the face. He's very clear about what the moral is. It is be yourself. Like if you're a freak or a widow, it does not matter. Embrace who you are because they all come to terms with – it's kind of like they're fighting themselves for nine episodes and then 10th episode they're like, well, this is who I am. I am <laughs> – Person who talks to animals and gives them. Um, I'm the psychic to the animals. Like it's, the characters are quite interesting, <laughs> but you know, at the end, it is just embrace who you are. Like that's who you are, and it's so important to be comfortable in your own skin. Like yeah. the guy who has a really big butt and wants butts. <laughs> oh, like Julie. don't get. But I know this is what I'm saying. It's slightly weird people, but the, the story is so what. So what? Mm-hmm. Yes yeah. like I, I feel enjoy this is it, yeah. what you're saying. Mm, I think
3: so, yeah, yeah. so School Without Walls taught me that we could do things as a community, no matter who it is, even, mm. if, even if it is the rejects of society mm, mm. Who a lot or of us were. not
1: conforming oh. into specific systems. Well,
3: you can put it how you want. <laughs> it's all good. The permaculture course then gave me tools to actually do it: Yeah. So you've got the, I guess, the mental enabling. Right, we can do things, then.
1: How to actually do it.
3: Okay, here's a system for how to think about it and how to actually do it. But, of course, it's harder to actually get it done on the ground (laughs) than know that you can. So we're working on it. And I guess the third thing, to be honest, I think it's magic mushrooms. I really fell in love with the earth Mm. through magic mushrooms. And that's been a mainstay of... My behaviour since then—that was a long time ago.
2: What is it about the earth?
3: Everything, mostly the life. I think bare dirt and rock isn't as good as living abundance in a rainforest mm. somewhere good.
2: Yeah. yeah, oh, gorgeous. What's your favourite place in Canberra where you feel you feel connected with the earth?
3: Oh, I got a few little spots up on Mount Majora that are.
2: Oh. Mm. Mount Majura, like, yeah. I would do anything for Mount Majura. <laughs> like, like I know, uh, oh I honestly would. Like, it's, my, like it's my happy place, Mount yeah, Majura. Like, it just fills me with such joy. Mm. It is amazing. Mm.
3: Anywhere
1: in the bush, really.
2: Scotty, I've read a
1: little bit about Co Canberra. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about it. Could you tell us about what, what it is?
3: Well, co Canberra. So I guess I started in 2016. Mm-hmm. I think it was Josh Josh Windham kid, I think put on a cooperatives networking day at the food mm-hmm. co-op. And it was great. There was heaps of people. It was all full of young people and it was a really good day but nothing happened after mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. There was no follow up. Liam Lilly from Sea Change, he was running Sea Change at the time. He said Bro, let's do a follow-up, go on, everybody come and do a follow-up. So we did a bit of a follow-up and spent well, spent a little while trying to figure out what on earth we were trying to do as a group and then Liam Lily buggered off to Perth and it was all going to fall over. So I went, ah, look, I'll just hold meetings every month. Mm -hmm. We did that and uh, Co-Canberra has emerged out of that. So Mm -hmm. the CO in Mm Co-Canberra stands for Co-Ops, Commons and Communities. And they're the three things that we're trying to get going. So mm. communities are the base of society. I mean, if we don't have community, we're absolutely stuffed. And community goes back way longer than humans. You look at all the all the apes have all got community. And bees have got community. It's, it's like a big mm. pattern of nature. All the social creatures have got community. Mm. So if we've got a community that's crook, mm-hmm. like we do... Mm then it's going to be reflected in us as people and in the behaviour of society, mm. and it is. So community needs regenerating, I guess. How you do that is another thing, but, you know, we've got some ideas. <laughs> mm. um, commons. So commons are basically the way that human communities self-organise mm.
2: to achieve...
3: Things and look after the things that meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Needs here I'm defining as if you don't have this, you'll die. Yeah, mm-hmm. you actually need it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah,
3: food, shelter.
2: Very different to that a sort want. Of thing.
3: Yes, very different to a want. Now we've got neo needs as well, which mm-hmm. are the things that society requires. They're not actually needs.
2: Like
1: yeah,
3: we're not going to die without them, but society might collapse without them. And our like te- technological
1: internet side. connection, internet
3: <laughs> connection, electricity, mm. that sort of mm. stuff. Yeah, mm. transport systems, all of that. If the transport system went down, then you know we don't have much food in this town
0: yeah, at the moment. Yeah.
3: We're really, really vulnerable on that front. It goes for everything. Yeah. So we've we've complicated ourselves into this huge system, which is so reliant on everything else, it's become vulnerable. So commons are the ways that we used to organise as small communities to provide for our own needs. So the classic commons is like a, a grazing land or something, but it's also Wikipedia.
1: Mm. It's, it's, so it's a shared resource.
3: Yeah, so it's sort of defined by three things. Mm. A commons is it's an asset, a productive yeah. asset. So ah. a productive asset is something that's that does something. It's not like money or something imaginary. It's yeah. a real thing, like, you know the table is currently providing a platform for all this gear that's recording and this recording gear it's producing a a podcast. So these would be productive assets.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, So it's a productive asset of any sort really. Mm -hmm. The second part is the community of people who are concerned with that asset.
1: So it's about the the actual thing and then how people relate to it and use it.
3: Yeah, so it's the community. Yeah. And the third bit is it's the rules – that those people come up with together yeah. to govern and manage that asset yeah so it's, it's those three things and there is an unwritten fourth rule is that it's not for sale mm-hmm. so it's there for the community and it stays there for the community
0: mm-hmm. yeah
3: eleanor ostrom did an awful lot of study with a whole swag of people over yeah. many many decades and her husband i think did quite a bit too she came up with these eight Rules for commoning, which I don't have with me, and I can't remember (laughs) eight things. It's way too much. But they're really interesting to look at, and they're they're excellent things to, say, tack onto the end of maybe permaculture principles and and run through that as a bit of a check if you're designing a system of doing anything. Mm
2: -hmm. That's interesting. There's a lot of movement towards this at the moment with the whole idea of the global commons, like air quality or Mm -hmm. certain patches of of land need to be put aside and make sure they... You know, they can't be destroyed anymore now. We need to protect them because it's a global good.
3: Well, I mean, like the ocean outside of your national territorial boundaries that have been agreed, which I think is 30 kilometres out,
2: Yeah.
3: outside of that, it is a commons. Hmm. And at the moment, it's just getting plundered because there's no rules. Correct, Mm. correct. And the Antarctic is a commons, but there are rules there. Yeah. There's been a movement for many centuries now called the enclosures. Mm-hmm. Which is basically people privatising the commons. Yeah. Mm. If you look back in ye olde England, year oldie England yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's heaps of these words that are just nobody's ever heard of, you know. Uh, I can't remember them now, but they're, they're, they're hilarious. You look at them and it's like, you know, the right for widows to glean firewood in the forest and the right for this and that. And it's all set out in the thing called the Charter of the yes. Forest. Yeah. Which was pretty much done at the same time as the Magna Carta. Yeah. Which is the sort of the social charter, but this one sets out rights of the commons and the commoners to, but it's a contract which sort of grabs power back from the king and the lords and says, we need something too.
2: I always found it fascinating, like when I did, you know, the whole finished uni and moved to the UK, you're in London and you have so many of those parks, so many walled, gated parks in the middle of. Suburbs because it's only for those suburbs. It's yeah, only right. for like you're not allowed in there. Private like parks. it's private parks. Wow. There's so many private parks and you're like, this does your head in. The parks should be for everybody. Like, it shouldn't just be for the people who live on that common. So it's mm. often called a common. And so people who live in the square mm-hmm. around that, they're the ones who have access to that park.
3: That's interesting. I mean, that harks back to a common. It does. Yeah. It does. It's like yeah. that is the community who's involved and manages that park. Yeah, just unfortunate that it's uh, not everybody, but
2: yeah, um, exclusive, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, exclusive commons. We don't mm. want that. Mm.
3: Oh look, I mean, with all of these things, you can turn them to evil. If you wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scotty says with a glint in his eye. <laughs> it's all about design, whether what you do. I mean, I look at all of these things like an empty bucket. You get out of it what you put in. So yeah. if you wanted to. Get a bunch of millionaires together and form a cooperative to become billionaires. Then mm-hmm. that's what that cooperative would do. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah,
3: and that would be perfectly legitimate. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> What's Co Canberra working on at the moment? What does it look
3: like? Well, I mean, I'll just finish off with oh, the, yeah? the yeah. three things there. So, the cooperative is a way for us to recreate commons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a way. A business structure that's available and really perfect, basically, for Mm. creating new commons. Mm.
0: Because
3: what we really need to do is to re-common the enclosures. Everything's getting privatised from our mouse clicks and movements on the web to the parks and everything else. How do we re-common it? How do we bring it back into the control of the community? Especially Mm. those things that meet our basic needs that I was talking about before. Mm. It's really critical because... We're heading for a collapse, financial first probably, and if the finance system goes, then everything else stops because people don't understand how to do things if they're not getting paid for it. Yeah, There's a mental block in our heads mm. that if we're not getting paid, we won't go to work, and everything's organised through businesses. So we need to create commons rather than <laughs> for-profit businesses to provide for our needs. Otherwise, we're just going to be vulnerable with the train we've set In place with the environmental system and the political system, which can't address it, there's going to be some rough times ahead. Mm. We're going to need to provide for our basic needs. So, what we want to do is set up cooperative businesses, which are a commons by design, and implement those in each different sector of need Mm -hmm. housing Mm -hmm. or shelter, you might say. That could be clothing, Mm -hmm. housing, food, water, all of those those really basic things. Mm. The cooperative, I think it's been around since 1846 in its current form Mm. in Rochdale, England, where a bunch of weavers who were getting absolutely stuffed by their bosses, Mm -hmm. they set up a store just for flour and tea and stuff like that, but it flourished. It was owned by the community of people and they got a lot of members and it, it worked There'd been a lot of previous ones, but this was a pretty successful formula. Mm -hmm. The International Cooperatives Alliance now holds the principles and and ethics and values Mm. of of cooperatives around the world. And in Australia, if you incorporate as a cooperative, then you've got that set of values, ethics and principles, which you're legally obliged
1: to look
3: after. It's the only business structure that has a set of values, ethics and principles. Yeah, except for just bloody rape and pillage, you know. Wow. So it, it's actually really quite good. Mm. You're obliged to work with other cooperatives mm-hmm. rather than against, you know, mm. cooperate. Yeah. And, and yeah, ethics and equity, equality, heaps of things. There's seven of them. I, can, <laughs> I, I can't remember seven <laughs> things either. <laughs>
2: You're doing some work with food movement in food in Canberra. What are you doing with the cooperatives and food? Because I know we... We rely so much on outside food systems to bring our food into Canberra because there's not much that's grown in Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's, yeah. yep. there's like movements, there's a lot of meetings and people talking about this as a critical issue and we need to start to address it. What's, what's going on in the food movement?
3: Well... So we've got roughly 450,000 mouths to feed in Canberra and then the region, there's another 250,000 roughly in our region. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of people and mostly that all comes through the Sydney markets, the food Mm -hmm. that goes into our mouths. We have a lot of perfectly Mm -hmm. adequate farmland around and what we're trying to do with the Soil City Cooperative Farms is to organise a food system where we are able to feed ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we've ripped off a whole lot of different design elements from around the world. Probably the primary one would be the enterprise stacking model from Joel Salatin over in the USA. They're a really interesting mob. Him and his folks started bringing people onto the farm and and saying, why don't you figure out what you can do on the farm? Mm -hmm. They've developed a model now where they get interns in every year, uh, they'll select a few choice students mm-hmm. from the internship mm-hmm. and offer them an apprenticeship which lasts for a year and that's paid. And the apprentices are obliged as part of their work to look through the food system that's evolved and try and figure out a niche that hasn't been filled that they would like to fill.
2: Oh. So it
3: might be organising the deliveries, it might be doing the deliveries, it might be growing something, it might be all sorts of stuff. Um, and they've wound up with a, a whole food system based around this farm. But, of mm. course, they they ran out of farm pretty quickly, so they're leasing other places and stuff.
1: And you could uh, see that replicated here.
3: I think that would be great. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But you could also add on to that the, the ecological stacking. So mm. if you have seven or eight enterprises on the one bit of land, yeah. they will all work together so that it, the ecological systems – so mm. you've got – say the chook poo going to the veggie patch and the veggie scraps go to the chooks and Mm -hmm. any sort of scrap apples that came off the apple thing would go to the chooks and you're just sort of moving it around but deliberately yeah yeah and uh, working together that way as well as working together financially
1: and does that also connect with the ideas of food sovereignty
3: yeah very much I mean the whole thing of being able to feed your own community is essentially food sovereignty but on a scale of a, a city rather than on a maybe a personal scale or or a, a small community, sovereignty I define as being able to create and enforce your own rules. You can do that I mean within the rules that the government sets and enforces you can you can do that quite well if you subscribe to a southern harvest box then mm-hmm. you've basically done that you know
0: because mm-hmm.
3: that's a, an existing mob which are great I think it's forty fifty oh, I've lost touch but at least fifty farmers yeah, yeah. who have got together to form a common mm-hmm. marketing scheme mm-hmm. basically. And they run a market every week in Bungendor and they've got a box scheme coming into Canberra as mm-hmm. well, which comes through the city farm for mm. all regenerative farmers. And that's a really really good example of a commons and how yeah. you could become food sovereign by buying your food off them or off the local many ways or patchwork mm-hmm. urban farming. Mobs mm-hmm. or anyone really.
2: So this is going back to your sixteen year old self where you're really you're wanting to make sure you're in control. Like you're going, right, well I'm setting my rules for my life and I'm not dependent on the on external externalities as much as you can be.
3: Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But I mean, that's one way of doing it. So that's a personal method of doing mm-hmm. it is to choose where you're buying things. But mm-hmm. the systemic problems that we've got so ingrained that that's not enough. Yeah. I mean, you can do as much as you possibly can and it's still not going to make a dent in anything. So what we actually have to do is organise new institutions yeah. to enable us to do all these things. Big housing co-ops, big food co-ops, that sort of stuff. If we can't organise that in the fashion that we want, then we're going to be in trouble. Let me see if I can find... This bloody thing. Where are we? Oh, here we go. I've got it. I've got the eight principles for managing a commons. If you mm-hmm. want to check it out. So one is define clear group boundaries. So that's defining what your community is. Mm-hmm. So your example in London was at that suburb. Yeah, it was the community, um, or Wikipedia users, you know, contributors. Two is match the match rules governing use of common goods to local needs and conditions. Create the rules. For your local conditions, and that'll be different everywhere. Three is ensure that those affected by the rules can participate in modifying the rules. Democracy, essentially. Mm. Make sure the rulemaking rights of community members are respected by outside authorities, which is a very difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, government, listen to my rules. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the cooperative movement has managed to do that when whoever that way back in the past, mm. got the ICA cooperative principles into law mm. as, a, as an incorporated business. So yeah. It can be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to have the right moment, I think, mm. and develop a system carried out by community members for monitoring members' behaviour. So that's no secrecy, essentially. Uh, everybody yeah. should be able to see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and That way, you can figure out if someone's doing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. because you can see it. Use graduated sanctions for rule violators. So, if somebody is breaking the rules, you don't just go in and go, "Right, you're out." Yeah. First, you'd go and say, "Hey, John, it's really not the way we're supposed to do it." I mean, did you remember the rule? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And maybe a group of you might go to John if he does it again. Hey, John, you're going to get in trouble if you do this, mate. John, John, you're <laughs> suspended or something. And then eventually, if they're recidivists, you just boot them out. Yeah. Mm. you're sorry, mate, you're no longer part of this community because you can't abide by the rules that the community's made. Mm. Seven is provide accessible low-cost means for dispute resolution. Mm. If John's jacking up, you might be able to get in a mediator or mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. who can, I don't know, talk them down from their rage or anger and actually talk properly. Eight is build responsibility for governing the common resource in nested tiers from the lowest level up to the entire interconnected system which in the Catholic social teachings is known as subsidiarity. Okay. Basically, things should be organised and governed at the smallest level possible. Only take things up if it affects more than one community. Otherwise, it's just your community makes a reasonable sovereign go at it and they can create and enforce their own rules, say... If you want to put a new creek crossing across the farm or something like that, that'll affect all of the enterprises. Mm-hmm. So you might want to do that at, the, at the, the whole site level. Yeah. yeah. But if you want to change the rules of the co-op, that would have to be all of the different sites yeah. together. and Yeah, it's, uh, it just makes sense. Yeah. And what we've put on top of the cooperative principles are three extra ones to create a thing called a climate co-op. Ah, mm-hmm. tell us so awesome. about this. One, it's needs-based, and and these aren't in the cooperative principles. Needs-based. So the primary function concentrates on provision of our core physical needs. So we've Mm -hmm. talked about the needs. Mm And, I mean, a neo-need, we can do them too. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, electricity, all that stuff. And we sort of need to do those as well because if society just drops off the edge, energy or transport or food or anything, it's just going to be ugly. So being prepared for that would be nice too. <laughs> it's another way of providing for your safety need, I mm, suppose, because yeah. that's another need, isn't it? Yep. The second one is towards a healthy habitat. So as a fundamental part of how a climate co-op does whatever it does, it needs to contribute to regenerating the earth mm. or culture or something. You know, it might be energy decline, extinction, pollution, carbon, any of those. And the third one... Is regenerative culture. Mm. And we've touched earlier on if you've got a sick culture, then you've mm-hmm. got, got problems. So how do we design and create a culture that will be good for people, mm. good for planet?
0: Mm.
3: We have to change the way that we behave with each other yeah, and create that. And the School Without Walls was a really good example of that. And education would be a fantastic spot to start. Mm. Yeah, totally. To create a regenerative culture. It's much harder to learn as an adult than it is as a kid, I think. Although people will pretty much take to it. Mm. It's really difficult to describe. I try and describe the feeling of being at school without walls, mm. being in a genuine daily democracy is yeah. what I call instead of a, a periodic democracy. And I worked out it's something like on average it's roughly four hundred and sixty-five days between elections, and during the period between the elections, they make I think it's three hundred 72 don't quote me on them but there's a lot of decisions that get made Mm -hmm. you get one chance to have a tiny little say in who who makes all those decisions and it's winner takes all so how democratic is that really Mm. when we should be at a community level making all the decisions we should be sovereign on a community level be able to make and enforce our own decisions.
1: What are some of the things that we can do to contribute to that regenerative culture?
3: Well, at the moment, you could come along to a Co-ops, Commons and Communities meeting every month Mm. on the the last Sunday of every month. Yeah. No, last Monday of every (laughs) month. (laughs) You could come along and have a chat with us. We're doing a whole lot of stuff. One of the big things that we're doing for regenerative culture is just letting people know that there are alternatives out there. To do that, we run a weekly radio show called Behind the Lines on Two ninety eight 98.3 FM. We talk to anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. Every week we'll talk for an hour and a half with whoever makes it in there. We've Mm -hmm, talked with mm -hmm, you, Fiona, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) about the Environment Centre and, Mm -hmm. yeah, tonnes of other people. So cooperatives, commons, communities, (laughs) all sorts of stuff. Our imagination is like any other sort of organ in the body if you don't use it and mm-hmm. exercise it it'll atrophy and yeah. sort of disappear and yeah. if, if you feed it the wrong food it'll get crook
1: mm-hmm.
3: we're trying to provide good healthy food for the imagination
1: I love that I yeah. love that and I think that has been a real driving force for Julie and I putting this podcast series together putting out stories of of hope and that like exactly what you're saying feeding the imagination so that we don't just fall into a heap of being totally discouraged about what we can do in the world (laughs) for our environment, that there are amazing people like you getting out there and um, bringing stories of hope. Love it. (laughs) Mm. The imagination,
3: it's underrated. It really is. We can't do anything without imagining it first. Everything Mm. that's in front of us, somebody imagined it at some point and then went and did it. All the equipment, the table, the house,
0: everything.
3: Everything. So all of technology is completely imaginary before somebody does it.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> so the imagination is our most powerful tool. Yep. And people talk of innovation all the time, but Rob Hopkins describes this really well, the founder of Transition Towns. <laughs> he says you can compare it to a pizza. Pizza's great, but it's got its basic things. It's got the, the bread at the bottom and it's got a bunch of toppings. But it works, you know. You can muck Mm. around with those things and it works and it's great. But if that's innovation, mucking around with your pizza to make it good. But imagination is, I don't know, a totally different thing. It's like making a different dish. Innovation is just mucking around with something that already exists. All of economics and that sort of stuff, it's mucking around with a system and... Everything, basically, that the government does is mucking around with something that's already there. But what we need to do is imagine something completely new yeah. because the system that we have is fundamentally broken and if you muck around with something that's fundamentally broken, it stays broken.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're wasting your time. Mm. So
3: we've got to imagine a whole new way and we've got to build it from the ground up. Mm. And we have to do that by ourselves because government's never going to fund that yeah. and business is never going to fund that unless we create our own businesses to fund it. So part of the idea of these climate co-ops is we're basically going to have to tax ourselves and pay a little bit more to build a system that works for people and for planet. We can do that by paying our bills to ourselves. Mm, mm. So we've got a food bill. You've got a bill for basically everything that's a fundamental need. So if we can create a business in that sector which does it in the right way, which creates a regenerative culture, which regenerates the earth in some passion, then we can buy our stuff from that. Mm-hmm. and We make profits, but we also get to choose where the profits go Yeah, through a participatory budgeting scheme like the Earthworker mob have been pioneering down in Melbourne.
2: Mm.
3: We have to build it ourselves. We have mm. to design it ourselves
2: mm-hmm.
3: because no one else is going to do it.
2: So many ideas. Um, I, I'm really interested in how you're going to answer our first question. Hero question because I think I think your answer might be, well, there should be no president of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. So congratulations, you've just been elected president of the world. What's the one change you try to implement first?
3: Hmm. It is an interesting one. There are so many things. But I think I would try to implement something. Pretty similar to the the democratic system that they tried in northern Syria, Mm. in the Kurdish areas, the Democratic Federation of Northern Syria.
1: Not familiar with it? No.
3: No. No, 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 not many people are. Sure, (laughs) okay. So in the middle of a war zone, surrounded by people who really want to cut their throats, this community has moved away from being a a communist armed guerrilla movement Mm -hmm. into a a radical democratic movement. Wow. When there was a power vacuum, so the, the dictator Assad moved all his troops down south when the civil war started and basically left these guys alone. They said, right, OK, we're going to start governing ourselves. So they stepped into the power vacuum. Power vacuums are so important. School Without Walls started Mm-mm. in a power vacuum Mm-mm. as well when they were changing from a national system to ACT-based system. OK. And they were looking for ideas. Yeah. So there was this vacuum of power. These guys were ready though. It's really important to be ready for a vacuum of power. Mm. If you're not ready, you can't take advantage of it and the right wing knows all about that. They started organising on a community basis and any community could join this system if they signed up to their social contract. So they had a set of ethics and Mm. principles, which is a social Mm. contract and Mm. if your community decided that you wanted to work under that, uh, then you are now a sovereign community. You can make and enforce your own rules for your community. And then your neighbouring communities, you'll get together, form cooperatives to provide municipal services, rubbish collection, water supply, electricity, all of that stuff. And over about seven years, they built that and did it until Mr Donald Trump decided that uh, he would let, uh, let Turkey have their heads and then the Russians and the dictator moved mm. back up to find, and all geopolitics mm. got back in the way and yeah. there was no longer a power vacuum for okay. little mm. people to fill. But they're, I'm sure they're continuing as much as they can mm-hmm. under all that mm. Yes, oh. interesting so, yeah. times the poor buggers are under. That is the sort of thing where it is that subsidiarity thing. Decisions are being made yeah. at the local level yeah. and then you share the bigger jobs which you can't get done on your own.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: The second question. <laughs> 2030, mm-hmm. describe yep. the world you see around you.
3: Ah, well. <laughs> what could be?
2: <laughs>
3: or what might be? Yeah, I don't know.
2: What do you think it's going to be? Mind you, Fiona, I might so crawl up? under the table. If <laughs> yeah, I mean. This far away two 2030. Ways you,
3: two ways you can look at it. I mean, we could have financial collapse, societal collapse and have a really, really tough time. Or if we get together and build these institutions and there is a lot of people around the place doing it, you just don't Mm. hear about it on Mm. the news. Mm. You hear about it through podcasts like this and through our radio show and heaps of other avenues out there. People are thinking about this stuff. If we can just turn that switch in our brains and go, it's my responsibility to build it because no one else will. Mm-hmm. I need to get together with other people in my community, try to s- flick that switch in their brain too, yeah. and put a bit of time, put a bit of money towards it and build these new systems. We could have something approaching a utopia, you know. Any- Why not?
1: Anything's possible. <laughs> it is, yeah. So Scotty, who are your environmental heroes?
3: Well, one of the other things that, School without walls provided it was a bit of an education in mm. protesting mm. and blockading. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the kids there were into environmental stuff. Yeah, went down to my first blockade. I think it was East Gippsland then. And, mm. and there are some people who I've been friends with for many many years who are still doing that, and they're out there stopping the chopping. And we're finally beginning to win. WA mm. mm. first yeah. first announced that they were going to stop native forest logging. Well, in a few years still. <laughs> so, you know, they're backing out pretty slowly. But Victoria's actually mm. announced that they're going to do it this year. So that is really positive. Mm. So that's six months, you know, the clock's ticking on that one. Yeah. They're actually providing a, a reasonable amount of support, like a just transition for yep. people in the forest industry yep. to retrain. And they've got a decent package. Mm. So they're doing it the right way. They're not just throwing them to the wolves, which mm. is good, because, you know, there are people working in that yeah. industry. They've got families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to know some of them over mm-hmm. the years, yeah, not in particularly amicable way, but, you know, when you're hanging out with someone, you talk, <laughs> even if you are on different sides. And, you know, they're just people. Mm. Yeah, they're doing mm-hmm. a job that they love and mm-hmm. get to be out in the bush, even if mm. they're driving great big bloody machines and cutting it all down. But, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's still nice to be in the bush. Mm. <laughs> Um, what was the question?
1: Environmental heroes. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay.
3: So, yeah, I mean, some of these people have been doing this incredibly difficult taxing job for yeah. no pay. Yeah. Putting their lives on the line for decades now. And yeah. That's incredibly inspiring.
1: Mm, that persistence. Yeah, that's right. And mm. also there's people like the late
3: Uncle Chappie Williams and Kevin Buzzacott. hmm down from South Australia who've been leading these fights as well from a First Nations perspective and mm. just fighting and, mm. fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And all of the, the nuclear waste dump people, there's heaps of yeah. those. When that's still going on, you know. Mm. So I think those campaigners who are yeah. out there, all of them, yeah. who just don't give up. Yeah. You know? yeah. The st- oh, cool. stubbornness of these people is great. <laughs> we have to harness our stubborn. Turn our anger into stubborn and <laughs> resist. Because we've got to build with one hand and we've got to resist with the other.
2: Wow. Yep. So as the stubbornness, uh, our fourth question, what's your hot tip for being more environmentally friendly aware? Does stubbornness, fall into uh,
3: that? Uh, it does, but you have to organise. Organising your community, yeah. getting these things up and running so that they're doing the right thing as a business, which provides our needs, provides a little bit of profit on the top that we can spend on things. Mm-hmm. You know, education might not make money. Where are we going to get the money for the right sort of education? Well, we can get it from our el- electricity bills that we're paying for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we can say, right, well, we need a bit more money for education, so maybe we'll just raise our electricity bills a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then if we decide that's where the money goes, the profits, we can fund that yeah. or a health system or something. I mean, Mondragon over in Spain has basically done this. They started in 1956 with a crazy Catholic priest who got exiled to this poverty-stricken area and he started a a football league to get Mm. community running. Then he started a community college to get a bit of education going. Those kids went away. They came back. All the time he's teaching the Catholic social teachings, which I haven't investigated yet, but it's pretty interesting stuff. A lot of the radical things around the world are influenced by those.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, but, you know, you do have the Spanish Inquisition as well, so it's a bit of a spectrum there. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So they started a cooperative to build, I think it was kerosene heaters or something. Mm-hmm. They said, well, our mates here, we're, we're buying in all these parts from everywhere. Why don't you guys start making the parts here in the village in Mondragon so their mates formed another co-op to build mm-hmm. the parts for this and they just started sourcing everything locally by creating new co-ops and the thing this priest father ah, Jose Arismendi Arieta
2: oh, <laughs> rolls off the tongue
3: he the fourth or fifth co-op that they did he blindsided everyone by saying we're going to start a credit union mm. and through that all the local community could now put their money into a local community-owned organisation which could then keep all that money flowing locally. And really soon, there was a financial arm of that co-op, the, the, the mutual credit union, which started to specialise in bringing groups of people in, training them up in the necessities of business life,
0: mm-hmm.
3: so doing a business plan, making mm. sure that everything's legal, incorporating, doing all of that stuff,
0: mm.
3: setting them out on the road. And because it's a credit union, they could also fund them. That was a really critical piece of work because through that, they started their own social security system and these co-ops blossomed. There's over 100 co-ops now. They do everything from growing food right through to operating the supermarket chains and the shopping malls. Mm-hmm. They have education from preschool right through to university and they've got their own CSIRO equivalent for wow. doing research they've got factory building That's factories <laughs> and yeah they had their own health system for a long time I think it, it comes in and out of the yeah. government health system they've created this massive thing by working together and by designing mm-hmm.
1: it mm-hmm. being organized being organized yeah. They're very organized. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: mean, they their businesses are still reasonably top down, but they elect the boss. Yeah. So if you're if you're a crap boss, you get sacked.
1: Scotty, finally, do you do you have a particular slogan or mantra or key message that you would like to leave our listeners with today?
3: Hmm. Don't get mad. Organise.
2: Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
3: We just can't. Can't do it without working together mm. and imagining what we want and then building it.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Drawing that community together. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. No yeah, your yeah.
2: breadth. And depth of yes. knowledge is <laughs> phenomenal. phenomenal. We've only
1: scratched the surface. Yeah, yep. I think we yeah. could have a
2: whole season dedicated <laughs> to s- the wisdom of Scotty Foster. <laughs> oh, look,
3: tune in to Behind the Lines on Community yeah. Radio 98.3 FM. Yeah. Or we've got a podcast as well, A Line in the Sound. We
2: will put all of that <laughs> up. Yeah, Thank you right for now. coming in. And you
3: can go to cocambra.org.au to find out more. and...
2: Cool. All right, thank, thank you. you. Real,
0: thanks mm-hmm. for having
3: us. Good on you. Local
0: environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing
1: it daily. Local environment heroes is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, the traditional custodians of the Canberra area. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging, and we recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, and communities. Subscribe to the Local Environment Heroes podcast wherever you find your podcasts and keep in touch. Sign up to the CEC newsletter. Check out the CEC website, canbraenvironment.org. Thanks for listening.